After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined today by J.J. Cooper to break down the latest in negotiations between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. J.J. has been at the forefront of this reporting for over a year now. Various negotiations about what the minor leagues are going to look like, how many teams are still going to be affiliated with Major League Baseball, where those teams are going to be, and also now what those facilities are going to look like and the travel standards that minor league teams are going to have to adhere to to keep their affiliations JJ is going to shine a light on where negotiations are and just what's being discussed right now. So JJ, we are in November. Negotiations are still ongoing. What exactly is the state of negotiations between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball for the future of the minor leagues? I do think that we are, and I can say this probably for the first time in a year, we're in the final stages, I think. I do think it's not too far from now that we will finally get some clarity on, on the details. And again, this has always been about the details. I, I, well, I shouldn't say always, but the broad strokes we know. There are going to be 120 what we would call affiliated minor league teams next year. That's There will be 30 in low A. There will be 30 in high A. There will be 30 in double A. There will be 30 in triple A. That's, so that, so. that's, 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 that's not – that's not up for debate. That's not up for negotiations. To go back even a couple of months, when MILB fired its negotiating committee, replaced them with what I would describe as much more of a closely aligned negotiating committee with Pat O'Connor and MILB office in St. Petersburg, their proposal sent to MLB. So the MILB proposal to MLB said, we know there's going to be 120 teams. Here's how we would suggest to do that. Everyone agrees. So that's kind of, that's off the table. There's no scenario here where you're going to wake up in December and there's an agreement announced and there's 140 teams or 130 teams. Those things are off the table. It's going to be 120. Could it be 90 or is it 120? I, I feel comfortable saying it's going to be 120. I have not heard anyone anywhere on this say anything other than 120, I think that there would be a revolt among many MLB teams if you said 90. They don't want 90. I'm not saying there aren't teams out there who want 90, but there are MLB teams who would prefer to be able to have six or seven affiliates. It's one thing for them to accept four plus the complex. It's another to have them accept three. That would be a a, a significant new development. So no, 120. We know that. We know there will still be complexes. There'll be the Arizona complexes. There'll be the, Flo- the, the Florida complexes. Everyone will have a team there, which is a new one for the Rockies, who have not had a com- an AZL complex team, but will so- do so on this. Will every team only have one team there? Because some teams currently have two. It seems like it is likely 
to be one. I'm going to be hedging a lot because until we have a final formalized agreement, there's a lot of, this is what it seems to indicate, but there's a difference between everyone's talking about it being one and in the final deal, it was agreed to as one. But yes, everything, all of our reporting is, is that there will be one. One of the things that you keep hearing, and I've heard this from a variety of sources, multiple sources over multiple months, it's not a guarantee it's gonna be exactly this way, but envision a scenario where every team is allowed to have 150 minor league players in the US. Take the DSL out of it, but 150 in the US. How you distribute that 150 will probably be less rigid, regimented than it is now. Um, to give an example of this, it's been going on for a decade. There are teams in the past who have carried 28 players, 27, 28 players on their low class A roster. Now they haven't carried 27 active or 28 active players, but they've traveled with 28 players. And then they've had basically, they moved people on and off of what it was at the time, the DL and now the injured list. And the reason that they went on that DL or that IL was simply to make sure that everyone was getting the innings that they wanted them to get or the at-bats. And so teams were kind of working around a 25-player limit before. I don't think this is a system being set up to answer a lot of MLB concerns, desires in the minors. I don't think there's going to be a 25-player limit in Class A or AA or AAA. I think it may be a 30-player limit, but it's going to be something where if a team wants to put more relievers on a AAA roster and they're going to have fewer players at a lower level to do so, the key number is going to be you have this total number of minor league players you're allowed to have. You can't exceed that, but how you proportion those is going to be a lot more free form in between. What is that total number? Has that been established? The number I hear, not finalized, not confirmed, but the number I hear from everyone seems to be somewhere around 150, which and would be 30 players at Rook Complex, 30 at low A, 30 at high A, 30 at double, 30 at triple. Now, again, with that, let me make something clear. That's 150 players. Your IL would come from that probably. So your injured list. You know, if you have someone who's sent home for, you know, he's on paternity leave, it would come from that. So I don't want everyone to think that that means that everyone has 30 active players at every level, but it does mean that that's kind of the, the pool at which you start. And that's very different than it is now. Right now, if you're the Yankees, you may have, you know, you have nine teams. Well, two of those are in the DSL. So you have seven teams in the U.S. Seven times 25 is way more than 150. So just to clarify, the current state of negotiations is teams will have 150 minor league players domestically in the U.S. with we think. five affiliates, four of them full season affiliates, one complex league affiliate. We, yes, that is from everything we understand. That's kind of not what the negotiations really are about right now. The negotiations right now are figuring out the details, the economic structure of how this is going to work. Really, I mean, again, because we're talking now, the bigger picture, of, uh, a bigger picture thing here, minor league baseball St. Pete is not going to exist going forward in this. And I say minor league baseball St. Pete, 
Minor league the baseball office. Has, there will still the be office. minor league baseball, but the headquartered office in right. St. Petersburg will that no is, longer exist. That is winding down as we speak. There is every expectation that that is not a part of MLB's plans going forward. MLB has almost effectively come out and said as much when they said that they're negotiating with MLB, MILB owners. They're not negotiating. They're not negotiating with minor league baseball, St. Pete. Okay, so that's going on. So going forward. Major League Baseball is going to set the rules for how the minor leagues, as far as the games and all, operate. I don't want to go over that, but what I mean by that, though, the distinction there is, is that, for instance, before there's been in the professional baseball agreement, every level of full season baseball has 140 games. And there was a while where AAA and AA tried to play more, and eventually Major League Baseball said, no, we're not giving you that waiver anymore. You're playing 140. Major League Baseball, that, that was basically something that Major League Baseball negotiated with Minor League Baseball St. Pete and came to a number. Major League Baseball is going to be the one going forward who determines how many games that are played. Major League Baseball is the one going forward who's going to determine how the schedules are set up. Major League Baseball is taking on those responsibilities that have been Minor League Baseball, but that means there's a lot that has to be worked through on a very granular level of detail to check every box that has to be done to operate the minors, minor league baseball, which is now going to be run by Major League Baseball. So who exactly is Major League Baseball negotiating with, given that Minor League Baseball, the organization, the headquarters, if you will, is essentially going away? Who is Major League Baseball negotiating with? So there is a Minor League Baseball negotiating committee, which is effectively largely owners, which has been appointed by minor league baseball, but has also been approved as essentially working under the approval of minor league baseball owners. So that's the group. There's subcommittees from what I understand as well. But so basically major league baseball is working with a group of negotiating committee for minor league baseball to work through these things. Now that doesn't mean that's going to be the way that this gets resolved. That is a way that this gets resolved. There are two scenarios that I've had, I don't know, a dozen different people lay out to me. Scenario one is there is an agreement, the two sides, Major League Baseball, this Minor League Baseball Negotiating Committee, come to agreement. This is the framework for, base, for Minor League Baseball 2021 and beyond professional development licenses that MLB has proposed, uh, the business arrangements as far as how MLB is going to do marketing for the, uh, and sales for advertising for minor league baseball as a whole, the agreements on these are the, the different, I, again, I'm getting a little granular here, but this is what major league baseball is going to be able to sell. We're, you know, there's There may be an official sports drink of minor league baseball that is sold by major league baseball. It could be very well, like we see with all these other leagues that in 2021 and beyond it'd be minor league baseball, the, the farm league sponsored by, you know, some, you know, by Chevy or by, you know, Pepsi or by whatever, like a naming rights thing like NBA has with the G league. That was, you know, used to be the D league. Now it's the G league sponsored by Gatorade. All those things are being worked out. That could be an agreement. The other possibility that still remains is, is if the two sides cannot come to an agreement is at some point Major League Baseball says, we've reached an impasse on this. We're setting up our own system. You all, and by you all, 
these teams, we invite you to be part of our system and you can agree to be part of it or not. And if you don't agree to be part of it, we'll move on to the next group. And so that's the second way that this could end up being resolved, which is Major League Baseball says, here's the system. If you want to be part of our club, come join us. If you don't, you're off to do your own thing. Based on the tenor of negotiations, how likely is it that an agreement is reached and when will that agreement become official? Now we're getting to the really the, the difficult. Um, okay, so start with, we are past the election now. Nothing was going to happen before the election. The election is over now. So that gives kind of a, kind of a, it clears the passage for there to, you know, to be movement, to be re resolution on this. At the same time, from best I understand, I have never heard a part, a time in the last months, three months, four months, five months, six months, where I've ever felt comfortable from my reporting that there is a final 120. At some point, there has to be a final 120. You know, the teams that are going to be the affiliated teams in with Major League Baseball. I, as of today, as we record this, I still don't think that 120 is final. At some point, that has to be finalized. And the tricky part of that is, is that you're trying to piece together an incredibly complicated puzzle and you're trying to both serve the needs that MLB has laid out, which is reduce travel, improve facilities, all that, and serve the needs of the MLB clubs who have been, been able to lay out, here's where we want to be affiliated. But if five clubs say they want to be affiliated with minor league team X, only one of those five is going to get that. And then you have to go back and say, well, what about this team? And then what about this team? And in some cases, you know, it, I saw, sorry, it's all these seem to be long-winded answers, but the answer I, I guess I'll give is there's a lot of indications that we should hear something this month. There are, I would say, even further indications that sometime in the middle of the month, we have the owners meetings coming up. If I'm reading tea leaves, and again, I want to, preface when I have hard reporting and when this is somewhat speculation. This is speculative on my part. The owners meetings would be the logical place to kind of get the final MLB team sign off on this. That would be a logical one. The GM, you know, the, the, when you have the GMs or the owners gathered together, even if it's virtually, because it's going to be virtually, this would seem to be a logical thing to have on the agenda where you can sign off and everyone approves basically the miners plan. Okay, so that's part one speculation. Part two of it is on the minor league team side, there is a need for schedules. There is a need for knowing whether you're part of the 120 or not. To go a step further, now you have the partner leagues, what used to be indie ball, these partner leagues who have a relationship with Major League Baseball. They need to know which are the teams that are not part of the 120 who may fit in them. You have still, we, you know, we reported at Baseball America about the proposal for the New York Penn League. You have summer wood bat leagues that are in the process of being set up, but we also need to acknowledge with that, they're behind most all these other summer wood bat leagues, which have already lined up a lot of their players already. So the longer you go on that, the more difficult that becomes. Time is not on the side of anyone in this because normally teams have already had schedules by now. Normally teams are selling. Now the coronavirus pandemic throws a massive monkey wrench into that anyway. I don't know how many group sales you're doing right now because everyone's like, wait, come, get back to me. Let me know 
once we know a little bit more what the season looks like. But all that being said, it still seems likely to me we'll have some resolution on this in November, not December. Although I should point out in 1990, professional baseball agreement did go into December before it was resolved. So it's not like that hasn't been done before. Not to delve too deep into politics here, but you mentioned that nothing was going to happen until the election. If for whatever reason, the election result drags on or is in dispute, will that push the timetable back for an agreement? No, because what we're talking about the election, I probably should spell that out, what, what we mean. We're not talking about the presidential election. That's not a, a, the, their importance in, in this. What's important in this is there is significant political pressure that is happening in different states. You have senators, U.S. representatives, you know, governors in some cases, but really senators and representatives, I'd say more than anything, who have been strongly pushing to try to make sure that teams in their state or in their district remain on the, quote, right side of the 120. They remain an affiliated ball in 2021 and beyond. It's, a, again, there's, there's no way that you can't fit 150 teams into 120 spots. So some of those politicians, senators, representatives, are likely to be disappointed when these when this 120 is announced, or some who may be not as strongly pushing in it, but thought that their teams were safe, may wake up and find, oh, we're losing our affiliation of the team, Team X in my district or in the city I represent. By getting us to the other side of the election, and again, I know there may be a couple of special elections, maybe a special election in Georgia, but getting to the other side of the general election, it means that there's still going to be political pressure, but it does mean that MLB can say, we didn't have any surprise happen that put a senator, a representative who has significant political influence in a very disadvantageous spot. It didn't end up becoming a campaign issue that cost them an election. So now that we're on that side of that for the senators, representatives, and all them, it's now the the whether there's a resolution on the presidential election or not is less important for that. So just to circle back, and I think it's important to clarify because I've seen a lot of things put out there in some cases by major media organizations throwing around phrases like death of the minors or describing what it's going to look like and it's not 100% accurate. I want to just make sure we're 100% clear here. There will be 120 full season affiliated minor league teams. There will be 30 complex league teams. There will be a player limit, probably 150 players for domestic minor leaguers. And really what these negotiations are about is the business side, the on-field stuff for the most part, as you said, that's not up for negotiation. That's pretty much set. Yes, but now let me add a caveat to that, which is we do not know. We're coming off of 2020. There was no minor league baseball played in 2020, obviously, because of the pandemic. We do not know right now what the conditions in 2021 are going to be. Um, and so what I mean by that is, is, again, there is, I've heard it from people saying like, oh, MLB is going to basically just put everyone in the complexes and there's never going to be minor league baseball again. No, I, I, I do not know. That's, if that was the case, that MLB has wasted an awful lot of time this year in a very busy year, spending a lot of time and by the way, is going to destroy franchise value of a lot of major league baseball owned minor league teams, which seems like a really stupid idea if you're major league baseball. Um, however, 
I don't want to make sweeping guarantees if you're listening to this, that this means that we're going to have a 140-game minor league schedule for 120 teams in 2021. And the reason I say that is, is that there are, there are influences on that that are utterly both outside of everyone's control and on top of that are impossible to fully project right now. Now, I do want to start with, we didn't have a 2020 minor league season. But we got to remember where we were when that was shut down is very different than where we even are right now. In March, when they sent all the players home from spring training, in April, in May, there were no sports being played in the U.S. No NBA, no Major League Baseball, no NHL. College sports had shut down. Everything was shut down. In that environment, it was impossible for there to be the possibility that minor league baseball was going to be played at that time. You get to July, you get to August, and all of a sudden, now we're in a situation where, you know, we get to right where we are right now. Major League Baseball just finished the season. The NBA finished the season. The NHL finished the season. The NFL's playing. College football's playing. There are sports going on all around. A lot of potential hurdles for minor league baseball, but when we get to next year, when we get to next April, May, June, the environment that we're in now where there are a lot of other sports being played is very different than the environment that we were in when the 2020 minor league baseball season was, was shut down. So I, I just have to feel like the need to bring that up because we don't know that, there may, that there's going to be a normal 2021 minor league season, but we also know that there's a lot there that still has to be determined overarching this structure has generally been agreed upon that's what yeah. i want to make no, clear. So. sorry yeah there is yes i would say that the structure again whether it's an agreement or whether it's come join us and major league baseball sees which 120 teams decide to join them that structure has been everyone acknowledges that's going to exist and with that there will be no short season leagues outside of the complex leagues we've seen the appalachian league commit to becoming a summerwood bat league the new york pen league that proposal has been put in place there's been some discussion about certain teams who are currently in short season leagues like the northwest league moving into full season leagues and i think that's another area there's been some confusion when people say high low a the short season leagues say a minus and people think that's low a when in reality, low A is just A and high is A+. plus. I've heard some people say, oh, they're getting rid of A ball. No, 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 no. They're getting rid of short season. There will still be a low A and there will still be a high A to go with a double A and a triple A. Yes. Now, is it also possible that those levels will play different numbers of games? Because right now, full season baseball is 140 across the board. It is possible. We do not know the answer to this. It is possible, but there's been a lot of talk that it could be something where low A plays fewer games than triple A. And maybe there's a gradation all the way down the level. We don't know that. But yes, but there's going to be four full seasons. You hit a, the Appy League, we know what they're going to do. They've already done an agreement with Major League Baseball. They're going to be a Summerwood Bat League. There has been a proposal placed in front of the New York Penn League teams. And essentially, from best I understand it from my reporting, from our reporting at Baseball America, is that they're kind of been said, if you're interested in this, let Major League Baseball know. I don't have as good an answer what the Pioneer League. The Pioneer League is a rookie-level league right now. MLB has been adamant throughout the process 
They are going to provide baseball alternatives for these cities, these markets around the country that are left without affiliatable. I don't know, and I don't have a right now particularly a good answer for you on what that's going to be in the Pioneer League. But again, until I know otherwise, everything I understand, I have heard rumblings of MLB looking at this or looking at that for the Pioneer League, but nothing from what I understand has been finalized. And then there's the question of what's going to happen there are teams that are in affiliated ball in full season ball right now who are also going to be left out in this. There's no question of that. And what's going to happen to those? And I think the answer is, is there's going to be a variety of answers for that. But I would say comfortably, there are some teams that have played affiliated baseball in the past that will be playing independent baseball, professional partner league baseball in the future. In some cases, I think that's almost a, a certainty at this point. So we know there will be 120 affiliated full season teams. We don't know who those 120 will be. That's still to be decided. And a component of that, you reported that Major League Baseball has issued a proposal to enhance both facility standards and travel standards. You've been to minor league stadiums across the country. I've been to minor league stadiums across the country. We've heard ridiculous travel stories of 14 to 16 hour bus rides and crazy turnarounds. Major League Baseball is trying to stop all that, which I think we can all agree is the good thing if you've seen some of these facilities these kids are in and seen some of the travel. However, the way minor league baseball works is the major league teams supply the players, but the minor league teams, they pay for the travel arrangements, they pay for the hotels, they pay for the facilities. So enhancing their weight rooms, their locker rooms, or paying for plane rides instead of bus rides is going to add to the cost for these minor league franchises. My question to you is, again, this is just a proposal, these facilities and travel proposals. How likely are they to pass? And with those cost increases, could some minor league teams say, we can't afford to renovate our entire facility and take on tens of thousands of dollars of additional travel costs? It's possible, yeah. I mean, again, there are, I know that there are minor league teams who have reached out to indie ball leagues to at least sniff around. Doesn't mean they're going to indie ball. Doesn't mean that at all. But it's like due diligence is, is you should be aware of all of your options. And, you know, again, depends on the team. Uh, as I wrote, if you're in a stadium that was built in the early 90s to meet or was massively upgraded in the early 90s to meet the upgraded standards, professional baseball standard of the agreement from 1990, and your stadium hasn't really had a whole lot done since then, this is probably the time where this is due. I, I don't know other way to put it. Like, again, now you can, we can have a long discussion, which we're not going to have here today, on who should pay for that. Is it right for municipalities to pay for that? But in a lot of cases, what ends up happening is the city, the county, someone in the area ends up paying for those upgrades. But if, if you haven't done a whole lot in the last 25 years to your stadium, you're going to be far below these standards. And a lot of these standards are things like your lights have to be brighter. Well, if your lights are really dim, that's probably from a safety standpoint, probably a good thing for one. There are requirements for upgrading the size of, of clubhouses. There's requirements for training rooms, indoor, you know, like air conditioned training rooms, which is for weight rooms and all that, which has not been the case in, for some teams in the past. Um, batting and pitching tunnels and to have internet there and power, all these things. It's a lot of player and coach amenity requirements. There is nothing in these proposals that is about how many seats you need to have, 
how many bathrooms. That's all been a part of this in the past. That's not part of this. But that said, if you are in a newer stadium, I just laid out the 25 year, but if you're in a newer stadium that you built in the last 10 years and it doesn't meet the standards, it's gonna be a lot harder to go to the city, to go to the county and say, yes, we know that you helped us build a 20 million, 30 million, $40 million stadium pretty recently, but we need another 2 million or whatever it is because we don't meet these upgraded standards. That's going to be more difficult. I think in a lot of cases than doing this in an old stadium, that older stadium that hasn't been upgraded in a while. There is concerns in some parts about those facility standards. You touched on the travel. The travel gets interesting because there's, there are several requirements of this that would be different. And I would say across the board, if you're a player, the buses, you're now going to have to have two buses. And for longer trips, overnight trips, those need to be a sleeper bus included in that. If I'm a player, that's a massive upgrade. If you've ever seen Bull Durham, you know, it has improved since then, but not, a, not as much as you may think as far as travel um, for players going from game to game. So the, the, the standards will be definitely upgraded for players. There's also, though, a much stricter requirement. AAA has been the, the flight league. Below that, pretty much everywhere has been a bus league before. This requirement is, is as it is laid out, hasn't been agreed to yet, but as laid out would be over 350 miles. You either have an, have an off day afterwards or you have to fly to get there. Well, in AAA even, if I'm in Las Vegas and let's say I have to go to Memphis, not a ton of direct Las Vegas to Memphis flights, especially you know at night, you're probably getting up in the morning to fly but it's not all that hard. Your airport in Las Vegas, you get to the airport and then you fly to Memphis. If I'm in class A and I'm in a city that doesn't have a well-traveled airport, I may be an hour from the nearest really significant airport, an hour and a half. In that case, I'm going to end up busing early, early in the morning probably to that airport. I'm then going to connect through some hub and then fly to another airport, which in many cases may be an hour, hour and a half from that uh, you know, stadium and then bus over there. It's gonna be a lot more cost, but the other thing is, is it's not gonna necessarily be as useful from a travel perspective for the players as, as we might think. Again, it's, it's all about your own personal preference. I, I'll throw the question to you, Kyle, if you had a choice, and you're saying, okay, on this trip, we're going to need you to get up at 4 a.m. so that we can be at the airport by 7 because it's an hour and a half away. And then we're going to fly out. Our flight will leave at 8. We're going to connect through Chicago. Then we're going to have another flight, you know, after an hour layover. And then we're going to connect into, let's say, Detroit. And then we're going to get on another bus and we're going to drive an hour and a half from there to the hotel. We'll get to the hotel, drop our stuff off, and go to the ballpark. If your choice is that, or it's we're going to put you in a sleeper bus, and we're going to drive overnight, and it's not going to be the best sleep you have, but when you wake up in the morning, we'll be at the hotel. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a 50-50 one for me personally about which is a better experience if I'm a player. Well, I think, again, it's going to depend on the team. It's going to depend on where they're trying to get and where they're trying to go. I mean, it's, it's such a case-by-case. Case. And you talk about the Pioneer League, and some of the stadiums there are very remote if you drive. But 
Boise has an airport. You can fly into Boise. You can fly into Missoula, Montana. Some teams were taking these eight, nine plus hour bus rides when there was a decent airport you could fly into and just go play. And again, let me make clear on the player side though, on the player, on the team side, it's cost. $2,000 to bus, $2,500 with two buses and a sleeper, $10,000 to $12,000 to fly. So for them, yeah, I, don't, I just wanted to add that clarity to what you were saying, which is that's why they haven't been doing it in the past. There are many times where there are direct flights and they're looking at, we don't want to see our costs go up by five times. Sorry. 100%. And with that requirement, so I'm saying now they're going to be yeah. forced to do it. But the, the main question I wonder is if minor league teams are on the hook for those travel costs, how many of them are going to still be profitable? You know, you've talked a lot throughout this process, how even four or five rainouts can be the difference between a minor league team finishing in the black versus finishing in the red for the year. Now you're talking about these travel costs, and these facilities costs. On the one hand, I think most people agree it's better for the players. Player welfare in the minor leagues has not been taken care of. On the other hand, these minor league franchises might not be able to survive if they have to bear the burden of all these costs. Where's the middle ground here and, and how do you kind of reconcile all that? It's a great question. It, and it depends a lot on the team. Um, there are minor league teams in some cases that are quite profitable. And this would be, okay, this is going to cut into their profit. But for them, it's like, okay, it cuts into our profit, but we're still quite profitable. But the, there are other teams that are very much on the, in a good year, they make a little bit of money. On a very rainy year, they lose some money. And let's acknowledge that everyone lost money in 2020 because there was no revenue, almost none. You know, there was, they, they were very creative about other things they could do to get people in the ballpark but nothing that they did can replicate. I'll give a simple math to like help everyone understand something. There's the per cap is what we call it in minor league baseball. A conservative one is to say at a class A level between ticket, concessions, souvenirs, parking, everything. Let's say that the person who actually comes through the gates spends on average $20 per person. Now, again, Announced attendance and in-person attendance aren't always the same thing as you know and I know because we've been at games. It's like, wait, there were 2,200 here last night? I swear I saw 600. But in person, you know, if you have 1,000 people come through the gates, very rough number you can say, okay, 1,000 times 20. So you made $20,000 in direct revenue that night. That doesn't count sponsorships, all that, right? So there are teams who, if you see a team that's averaging 6,000 a night, they're probably making a good profit. If you see a team that's making 1,000 a night, they're probably not, you know, actual attendance. But there are teams that are on the line. There are teams that are not. The reason that everyone, though, has been investing in minor league baseball, has been buying minor league baseball teams is, is on top of that, here's what we make this year, here's what we lose this year, whatever, much like Major League Baseball, there has been very steady franchise value appreciation. If I buy a team for $10 million and I lose $50,000 a year, but 10 years later, I can sell that team for $17.5 million or $16 million. The little bit that I lost every year was more than made up for by the capital appreciation that I'm getting. The part that no one knows the answer to right now, and the part that is very important to minor league baseball owners is they want assurances that the 
actual value of the franchise can continue to grow in the Major League Baseball system like it has in the past. If that component is not, if that component is part of it, teams could probably stomach a, some higher expenses. Because again, if you're losing a little money, if you're breaking even on a year in, year out basis, let's say, but you're breaking even and your team gained $250,000, $100,000 in franchise value over that year, okay, you probably are willing to do that trade. And again, depends on some, some people own these as a community service, others own them as investments. There's a very wide range on that too. But if that's gone away, if you're going to buy your team, if your team is worth $10 million in 2021, and you know that it's going to be worth $10 million in 2031, well, that's very different because if that's the case, no one's really interested, or I shouldn't say no one, less people are interested in owning a minor league baseball team to lose a little bit of money in a bad year, knowing that at the end of a decade, you're going to basically be sitting in the same part you are where you started it. That's the big question. When you say that there's these negotiations going on as far as the details, that's one of the core, the core issues that everyone's trying to work through here, which is, is my team going to have a way to grow in value going forward? And if so, I can probably deal with a lot. If my team's not going to grow in value, if I'm not being comfortable, it's going to grow in value, then I'm probably not willing to accept a whole lot of additional expenses either, if that makes sense. So the overarching structure of here's how many teams we're going to have, here's the levels they're going to be at, here's how many players you're going to have, that's all set. The economics are still what's being discussed and also who those 120 teams are, but there will be 120. You mentioned earlier in this podcast, you expected something to be agreed to this month. What is that something? Are we talking a total final agreement or are we talking we're identifying the 120 teams but we still have to work out the economics? What are we looking at this month? I don't think you can have a 120 till you've worked out the details of what those economics are. Because to, to summarize it, if I'm a team that is at least, again, let's just say that I'm 90% in on I'm going to be part of affiliated baseball. But that 10% reservation is if this system is one that I'm going to have to put millions of dollars into the ballpark and I'm not comfortable that I'm not going to, you know, that the municipality is just going to pay for that. I might have to come out of my pocket to do so. If I have that and then you say, I don't know whether these restrictions are going to mean an additional hundred thousand, additional 200,000, an additional 500,000 expenses for me in a year as an operator. Well, I'm probably not agreeing to be part of the 120 until I know the answers to those questions. Now, when I say that MLB may say, here's the system, come join it if you want. In that scenario, there's still going to be an agreed system when these teams join the quote 120, because they're saying, we sign up, we agree that going forward, we're going to be part of this MLB developed minor league system. But I don't think the 120 can happen until you've sorted out the economics, the, the ideas of all these things. Because if I'm an owner operator, I'm not agreeing to something without knowing what some sense of what my costs are going to be, what my franchise appreciation is going to be, all these very complicated issues that have been part of this negotiation for the past year. So what exactly do you expect to be agreed to this month? 
I do think that we're going to get to an economic structure, that we're going to get to a system, that we're going to know in the next month, here is what the economic system, here are what the, re the responsibilities of a minor league team in this new system are. Here are the facility requirements. Here's what travel is going to look like. All these things are going to be resolved in the next month. And I say that simply, maybe and again, I would say there's a chance that it doesn't happen next month, but because everyone needs this thing to be resolved. Now, the leverage does rest with MLB here. The longer this goes, as we've said all the, through this, if you're, minor league, if you're a minor league baseball owner, your team, if you don't have a team next year to sell, you know, tickets to sell, you know, hey, they're coming back to town to sell sponsorships, all that you don't have literally much of a business. You have a lease to a stadium effectively. If you're major league baseball in the utter worst case scenario, that's not going to happen. I don't think, but if you could find 120 groups that were willing to do this, you still have the spring training facilities where you could still play games, even if they make no money, that's a better worst case alternative than it is for the minor league operator, especially the minor league operator coming off of, no 2020 minor league season there the hope that everyone involved seems to have is that there can be some kind of agreement that is come to by which both sides both parties recognize that they need each other in some way may not be an even need but there's a need there's a benefit for both sides of providing enough for the other to fill their needs again what you hope to see in any agreement on a meeting where both sides get something out of it and that that will be a resolution where everyone can say, that's done, put that behind us. Now we can focus on trying to do the best 2021 season we can have as an owner operator, as major league baseball, as everyone involved. Yay. Let's go and have baseball that they have to get something resolved, hopefully for everyone involved pretty soon in this to get us to that point. So we can put this behind and go forward ahead because the reality is, is right now, until that resolution happens, you have a whole lot of people in a whole lot of markets who's like, I don't know what, you know, this is happening with the team. And I'm not willing to really commit to anything with this team until I know what's happening. Your expectation is accept or negotiate the proposal for facilities, the proposal for travel, the economics, and the final step is identifying the 120. That's your, that's your expectation? Yes. All right. Well, we will see how it all shakes out. JJ, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you shedding light on all this. Obviously, there's a lot still to go, but everyone involved is hoping that uh, answers come sooner rather than later. And we know what the uh, structure of the new minor leagues will look like, at least into 2021. Thank you for tuning in to the latest Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.